morning, everyone. Reading this morning is taken from Nehemiah 11, if you want to follow and check I get all the names right, then that would be great. Starting at verse 1. The leaders of the people were living in Jerusalem, the holy city. A tenth of the people from the other towns of Judah and Benjamin were chosen by sacred lots to live there too, while the rest stayed where they were. And the people commended everyone who volunteered to resettle in Jerusalem. Here is a list of the names of the provincial officials who came to live in Jerusalem. Most of the people were, sorry, most of the people, priests, Levites, temple servants, and descendants of Solomon's servants continued to live in their own homes in the various towns of Judah. But some of the people from Judah and Benjamin resettled in Jerusalem. From the tribe of Judah, Athai, son of Uzziah, son of Zechariah, son of Amariah, son of Shephathiah, son of Mahalalel, of the family of Perez. Also, Maesi, son of Barak, son of Kol Hose, son of Haziah, son of Adai, son of Jeriab, son of Zechariah, of the family of Shelah. There were 468 descendants of Perez who lived in Jerusalem. All outstanding men. From the tribe of Benjamin, Salu, son of Meshulam, son of Joed, son of Pediah, son of Koliah, son of Messiah, son of Ithiel, son of Jeshiah. After him were Gabai and Salai, and a total of 928 relatives. Their chief officer was Joel, son of Zikri, who was assisted by Judah, son of Hasaneur second in command over the city. From the priests, Jediah, son of Jeriab, Jakin and Sariah, son of Hilkai, son of Meshulam, son of Zadok, son of Meraioth, son of Ahitub, the supervisor of the temple of God. Also 822 of their associates who worked in the temple. Also Adiah, son of Jeroham, son of Pelalai, son of Amzi, son of Zechariah, son of Pashur, son of Malkijah, along with 242 of his associates who were heads of their families. Also, Amashai, sorry, Amashasai, son of Azareel, son of Ahazai, son of Mehishilemoth, son of Immer, and 128 of his outstanding associates. Their chief officer was Zabdiel, son of Hagedolim. From the Levites, son of Hashub, son of Azrikam, son of Hashabiah, son of Buni, also Shabithaiah and Josabad, who were in charge of the works outside the temple of God. Also Mataniah, son of Micah, son of Zabdi, a descendant of Asaph, who led in thanksgiving and prayer. All, also Bakbukaiah, who was Mataniah's assistant, and Abda, sons of Jeshuma, son of Galal, son of Jeduthun. In all, there were 284 Levites in the holy city. From the gatekeepers, Akub, Talmon, and 172 of their associates who guarded the gates. The other priests, Levites, and the rest of the Israelites lived wherever their family inheritance was located in any of the towns of Judah. The temple servants, however, whose leader was Ziha and Gish, 
Pah, all, li- all lived on the hill of Ophel. The chief officer of the Levites in Jerusalem was Uzi, son of Bani, son of Ashiabiah, son of Mataniah, son of Micah, a descendant of Asaph, whose family served as singers at God's temple. Their daily responsibilities were carried out according to the terms of a royal command. Pethahiah, son of Meshezabal, a descendant of Zerah, son of Judah, was the royal advisor in all matters of public administration. Shall we pray? Father, it's so good that we can uh, come together, uh, either in person or online, and just worship you and be in your presence, Father. Father, I just pray that you'll be with us this morning. Father, you know what's going on uh, in the world, what each of us is facing, Lord, whether it's work, family, school, college, uh, wherever we are, Lord. Father, I just pray that this morning you'll speak into our hearts and our lives, that we might just uh, be aware of you, Uh, we might be closer to you, we might be aware of your leading, Lord, that we might just uh, know something more of you, Father, and that you will help us Uh, in our day-to-day life. Father, I just pray that your Holy Spirit will come this morning and just uh, uh, touch each of our hearts, Lord, and that uh, we might be more uh, aware of you. Father, I just pray that as Jim comes and shares your word, Lord, whatever is of of man is just blown away. Whatever is of you will endure, and that will uh, take root in our hearts, life. Uh, Lord, Father, I just pray for Jim as he comes to speak to us this morning. I pray that... uh, um, the words you've given him to speak, Lord, will just speak into our hearts and minds, Father. Father, I just thank you uh, for him, for the worship team, for the tech team, Lord, and all the wonderful uh, the, the people who help out here. Father, I just pray uh, a blessing on them as well, Father. Amen. Good morning. Good morning. Round of applause for care for all those names. <laughs> uh, I will just say very quickly, if you are aged between uh, 11 and 16, we have a youth uh, session today. So feel free to, there's a group over there. Uh, if you want to go and just join in with them, that's fantastic. And uh, Annalise is leading that. Annalise, thank you so much and team as well for putting this on for our young people. It's so cool. Can you give Annalise a little round of applause as well. That's good. Okay, so my name's Jim and uh, one of the leaders here at the church. Thank you uh, for being here this morning. Thank you for joining us online as well. It's great to be able to speak to you from Nehemiah 11 today. I felt like saying afterwards, I'm actually not speaking from Nehemiah 11, just to annoy Kev, but um, we we will crack on with it. So uh, a couple of things, we are doing communion later on. Uh, So hopefully if you're in the house, you have picked up what you need to be involved with that. If you're at home, then please make sure that you uh, get whatever you need necessary to prepare for yourself for that as well. Families together today, just to let you know, um, is in the room next door. I know many of you have dropped off some of your kids and uh, actually most of you should have stayed with your kids as well. So if you've just dropped them off, make sure you go back and see they're okay. They're going out for a little tour today. So if they're not back at the time that we finish... Don't worry, they're fine. They're all safe. Don't panic. Uh, They're just doing a little prayer walk and stuff in the community, which is fantastic. And today, you might know that it's the National Thank You Day. Did you know that? Did you know that? We've got, uh, we've been through a lot, haven't we, this last 18 months, all of us. Um, But there's been some incredible people 
that have helped us, uh, just from the NHS, key workers, all sorts of different people. Uh, many of you might know, um, some of you might not know, that we have uh, something called the Hub here at church, which is basically something that was born out of a response to the pandemic, and it's been greatly supported both financially but also people giving donations and food as well. Uh, and so Claire and Marie that kind of head up the Hub for us here, uh, just want to say a little thank you. Is that Okay. Uh, I think it's about a 50-second video. Hopefully, Lewis, you, you guys have got the video. Let's play it for you. Today, across the country, people are marking Thank You Day to celebrate the amazing contribution that volunteers have made in the last 16 months since COVID changed everything. The crisis has reminded us all that when it really matters, we are here for one another, and that's something to be grateful for. Since the 19th of March 2020, our team of awesome volunteers have stepped up to serve our local community. Some helped for just a short time, and others are still with us. Without every single one of them, we wouldn't have been able to help on almost 4,000 occasions. We just want to say thank you, and cheers for volunteers. Cheers! It will be really good. Um... If perhaps we just, yeah, just give a round of applause, not just for uh, the hub and all the volunteers there, but also just thank you to everyone up and down the country that's been part of the effort to uh, bring some level of normality. We've got a guy here called Paul Warner, who does a lot of our facilities work, who's been working tirelessly to make sure that we can do things like this to get back in the building. So could just a little round of applause for everyone that's involved with that? Excellent. So today we are jumping back into the series Rebuilding, looking at Nehemiah 11 and uh, tracing the parallels between regathering as a church and uh, some of the, I guess, some of the principles that we can pull from each chapter. Hopefully many of you have been following it with us. Um, if you haven't, then you can check out previous sermons on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, however it is you'd like to engage with us here. But last week Keith spoke to us. Keith's another leader here at the church. And uh, he talks about the, the J rate. Do you remember the J rate? Yeah. You're familiar with the R rate? Yeah. Hopefully. You can say yes. I think you're allowed to say yes. Remember the R rate? So if the R rate goes above one, then actually we're all infectious. We need to stay at home and not do anything. So he talks about the J rate, that if we are true, authentic followers of Jesus Christ, that we'll have an influence, we'll be infectious for Jesus and his kingdom mission. Do you remember that? Excellent. I do need interaction, otherwise this will just go downhill. I know you're not allowed to sing, but I'm, you, you can do that. That'd be great. Um, so it's about the J rate. And really, I want to kind of build on that this morning, what it means to be part of God's kingdom mission plans and as we become infectious for Jesus Christ. But I want to start with a question. How do you make big decisions? How do you work out God's will for your life? I wanted a little straw poll, if that's all right. So who goes with gut feeling? Anyone go with gut feeling in the room? Just feel like maybe the spirit is saying something to you, so I'm going to go with that. Good. Logically driven by the mind to think through things rationally, anyone? Yeah, that's good. What about the heart? You're really driven by the heart of it, and you're just going to go with it. Fantastic. Thanks, Trev. General consensus, get wisdom from other people. Anyone do with that? Yeah, that's good. Fantastic. All different ways that we can understand what God's doing, what will the will of God is in our lives. I just thought we'd try something, just to flip a coin, to see if England might win the Euros. Is that right? <laughs> is that okay? So heads in England are going to win it, tails are not. This is completely unbiblical, but I'm going to do it. Okay. <laughs> we'll use a different coin. It's fine. It's fine. 
It's fine. Do you remember Iceland? Yeah, it's fine. Okay, no, fine. So I just thought it's pretty strange when we read parts of the Bible and we read things where it says about throwing the lots, throwing in some lots, and we just read it and we don't think anything about it. Do you ever, do you ever get that? It's just such a random way God's people would operate. Do you not think? I think it is. Imagine doing that. What does God want me to do today? Oh, just, you know, it's, it's bonkers. It's bonkers. 88 times throwing a lot is used in the Old Testament, seven times in the New Testament. And we are faced here in this chapter with a moment where Nehemiah has done the foundational work, right? Do you remember this? Done the foundational work. He's built the walls. He's built it on the old foundations, by the way. So the city is huge, massive, really sparse. There's no one really living in the city apart from a few leaders. And Ezra's done the spiritual work. Do you remember that? Chapters 8 through 10, yeah? About getting, bringing people back to repentance, understanding who they are, whose they are. And now Nehemiah is left with the, the plan of getting people into the city. So he uses this casting of lots, which, by the way, back then was quite a common way of understanding and interpreting what the Lord wanted his people to do. So Proverbs 16.33 says, The lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. Right? Which is bonkers, isn't it? I think it's crazy. Especially because we live this side of the Holy Spirit in Pentecost. We'll come on to that a bit later. So their mission at this time was to occupy the city, occupy the city, to make it resourceful, to fill it with people. It was so important for Nehemiah now to get people back into the city. Now, some of you that know your history, I love history, will know that Zerubbabel came back to Jerusalem about 100 years before Nehemiah. Some of you might know this, hopefully. In total, 50,000 people came out of captivity back to Jerusalem. 47,000 of those people came back with Zerubbabel 100 years prior to Nehemiah. That rhymes. Okay. That means a lot of people didn't settle in the city. They're all living outside of the city. You're thinking, okay, what's what's this about? So Nehemiah had to get a one in ten. You see that in the first few verses that Kev just beautifully read for us. Thank you, Kev. There's a one in ten thing going on that you need to get one in ten people back into the city. And I didn't know this, but the artificial enlargement of cities was quite popular back then. So Athens and Rome, that's how they did it. They used this strategy of basically casting lots. They would take people from different regions, different areas, just outside the main city, and they'd pour them into the city. Did you know that? Didn't know it. Interesting, isn't it? Love history. You guys are like, yeah, prefer geography, but never mind. Okay, so this is where I want to pause, because we've been tracing the parallels of what it means to step back into the church as we regather. What will church look like? What will it feel like? What would it be for us to have a foundation of scripture, for example, a safe place, a secure place where we each know our role? in the kingdom plan. But I think today is bigger than just occupying the church. And I hope you come with me on this one, because my whole message is based on it. I think it's bigger than just occupying the church, coming back into this building. Because what we see in scripture at this point is God's specific mission for his people was to occupy the city. So they knew the mission of God, right? Yeah? You with me? Yes, they knew the mission of God was to occupy the city, to get back into the city. But our mission isn't just to get back into the building, is it? Thank you. Come on, this is brilliant, whoever that is, fantastic. Now, we want to return to church, don't get me wrong, that's my heart as well. We love being here, I wish we could sing more. In the quiet moments in the worship, you just kind of want to hear voices, don't you? Yeah, just singing out. I love that, and I'm like refraining and then singing a little bit and then pulling back. And I want, us to refer, I want us to return to church, definitely. We're looking at how we can do that, how we can reduce social distancing, how we can get second services, all that sort of stuff. 
But, I've said this before, if our greatest expression of our faith, our love for Jesus Christ, is standing in a building for an hour and 15 minutes, or going to life group, please hear this the right way, then I think we've missed something. I believe we've missed something. I walk and talk with a lot of different people, and this last year has had a huge impact on them, a massive impact on them in terms of their faith. Some are in a place perhaps where they're really trying to work out what it is that they believe, what it is that they believe, because church has been such a regular thing for them, a pit stop along the week, each week, that perhaps it's just pulled away what it is they actually believe. And it's just sad to keep praying for those people. For others, and I think maybe unwittingly we've done this, and maybe I perpetuated this myself as a church leader, I think we've made church the end goal. Come to church, come to church, come to church. And of course we want people to come to church. But that isn't the mission, is it? That is not the mission. You know, Jesus didn't die to create an institution. He died to create a revolution, didn't he? Yeah? I'm excited by that. Are you? A momentum that can't be boxed for an hour and 15 minutes. This is lovely. I love church because I love being with God's people, right? And I get so much from it. But it's not about this isn't the pinnacle of our faith. It really, really isn't. I think what we've done possibly is to perhaps just come off the tracks a little bit with our vision, the mission. We've not fully understood the greater narrative. We talked about this a lot recently, the greater narrative. Now, the grand narrative in today's society is met with a lot of skepticism because it kind of alludes to the fact that there is a universal absolute truth, that we're part of someone else's story rather than asking that person to be part of our story. You with me? We do this. A postmodern narrative is it's all about me, what makes me feel good. You know, what's ever true for me is not true for you. But if we understand our part in the grand narrative, then we understand that actually it's not about us, it's about God. The grand narrative has been around since the beginning of time. And there's four acts in the grand narrative, you know it, once I say it. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. Creation, fall, Redemption, restoration. That we were created in God's image, man and woman. To be in relationship with God and to be in harmony with each other. I hope you're with me on that one. (laughs) Yeah? And then humankind fell. We fell. We made decisions to do our own thing. We would have done the same thing. I believe that, honestly. We would have done the same thing. We want to know. We want to be able to be in control of ourselves. And so humankind fell. And sin came into the world. And then you see this story in the Old Testament of God's people back and forth, back and forth, being in relationship, being in covenant, being in agreement with God and then falling away from it. Until one day God says, this is not enough. I need to redeem, buy back my people. So he sends his son, Jesus Christ, doesn't he? To die on the cross. That whomsoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So we're redeemed, we're brought back in. And then there's restoration, which is the bit that I hope we're really excited about. That one day God's going to make everything new. Amen? Yes. The bit, it's the kind of now and not yet stuff, right? That we're looking forward to a future hope. When Jesus returns, there'll be a new heaven and a new earth that will come. I'm excited by that. It's restoring everything. Thank you, Trevor. It's not, by the way, not clapping me, we're clapping Jesus, right? This is his plan, not ours. This is his story. Just reminding us this morning. And it's so important for us to remember about the now and the not yet. Because that's where we come in. That's our role. That we need to remember that it's our job to reflect the coming king. It's our job to declare the coming king as well. And so it's our job to establish the kingdom as we live in this kingdom. 
And I'm excited by that. This is, I don't know if you remember back in uh, January, we did a series called Unashamed, looking at the book of Romans. And uh, Keith and I unpacked the importance of what it means to be a disciple, a follower of Jesus Christ. And this was a key part of it. We use this phrase that the gospel you communicate determines the disciple that you make. The gospel you communicate determines the disciple that you make and that you are making. In essence, that many of us hold to a particular gospel. And that will have a direct impact on how we live out our faith. I believe that. And so traditionally, there's about six different types of gospels, okay? I think we've done this before, but I'm going to just revisit it a little bit. There's the forgiveness gospel, which is something that I think I probably was brought up on. And of course, forgiveness is a huge part of the gospel, don't get me wrong. But often, forgiveness gospel can be, I guess, melted down to saying a few magic words. (laughs) Please hear that the right way, with all due respect. If we say that, that salvation prayer, we're in. You with me? We're in. We get out of the jail-free card. They say this to the young people years ago. Keep that in your back pocket. And then I'll just hand it over when I get to heaven. I'm not saying that's everyone's perspective on forgiveness gospel, by the way. But that can be how we can whittle it down. We said yes to Jesus once. And then we live in that, just that confidence that we are forgiven. And that's it. That's our role in it. And sometimes we can treat Jesus like he exists for our benefit rather than we exist for his. And then there's the consumer gospel. Now, the consumer gospel isn't a modern thing, by the way, for those of you thinking it is. It's not. It's been around for many, many, many years. And it's all about how does the church serve me, the consumer gospel. I want to hear words that are affirming and are loving and encouraging. I don't really want to wrestle with things that are difficult. I want scripture to be relevant, not revelatory. And if it's a bit difficult for me, then I'll go somewhere else. If I don't sing the songs that I like, I'll go somewhere else. If I don't like the colours on the wall, I'll go somewhere else because I don't have to eat at McDonald's when I can eat at KFC. It's that consumer-type attitude towards the gospel as well. Perhaps it's prosperity gospel. Probably don't see that quite so much. And I'm talking church kind of as a whole, by the way. Or the gospel of the liberal left. Or the religious right. You've got to believe certain things, certain doctrines, and then you're in. We're always right. You're, everyone else is always wrong. Anything left of me is always wrong. But that's not what I see in Scripture. What I see in Scripture is the kingdom gospel. It's the kingdom gospel. And if we subscribe to the kingdom gospel, it will have a huge impact and influence on how we live out the kingdom of God. How we live out his kingdom mission. The kingdom gospel is first announced in, in, in Matthew by John. And it says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. We have to repent. And then Jesus preached this gospel. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. And then he goes on to promise that this gospel of good news about the kingdom will be preached through the whole world. Through the whole world. So the kingdom gospel that you and I said yes to, whether we realize it or not, is about us proclaiming the rule and the reign of Christ Jesus over all the earth. It's exciting, isn't it? And slightly daunting as well. Because we tend to use Jesus for our benefit. And I say this from my own personal experience, by the way. It's not a judgment on anyone. A forgiveness cycle. I do things wrong, I go back. And of course, that's the grace. And that's the brilliance of Jesus. But he's called us for so much more than that. Wherever we choose to serve King Jesus, where we choose to love him and love others, join the commission, the co-mission, the spirit that was given to us to be on God's mission, to reveal and to declare the coming king, that's where we are on God's mission. We are ambassadors for Christ, 2 Corinthians. 
An ambassador is someone who represents a king often in a different kingdom, doesn't he? So you represent the king, Jesus, in a different kingdom. In whatever circumstance, whatever context you are in. In the home, in the workplace, colleges, universities, when you're having conversations, when you're making decisions, in the quiet, when you're on your own, you represent the king. You're an ambassador of Christ. I was trying to think of a succinct way of uh, putting this into one line, because I like one-liners, but I couldn't. So I nicked it from someone. Um, So a lot of you know Keith. He's been speaking now for a while. He's part of our church for a year. His old church that he came from in Bethel, they had their mission statement, and it was the same every year. And it was this. You might want to get your pens out if you haven't already. But we are God's people on God's mission in the Spirit's power with the message of Jesus. That was their mission statement every year. We are God's people on God's mission in the Spirit's power with the message of Jesus. To restore, to reveal, to declare the coming King. It's exciting. I was excited when I heard that. What a vision. What a vision. Do you see yourself on God's mission, on his kingdom mission? We've all got a part to play. We'll unpack that in a minute. But we're all on this kingdom mission. This is what we said yes to. This is what we said yes to. And what I love about this passage is that you see a group of, of lovers of God, of their Lord, of our Lord, that fully got it. They fully understood what it meant to occupy the city, that they were on this mission. And the first thing I want to say, is only two things today, is that they understood that with kingdom, with the kingdom mission, there's a kingdom cost as well. There's always going to be a cost. Now, we, we did this thing after the, one, uh, after the Unashamed series called 101, Unashamed 101. I see a few faces that are part of that. We've only done one session so far. We've got a second one pretty soon. And in this 101, we just unpacked the basics of discipleship. We were a bit cheeky. We asked these, the cohort uh, on the spot to, to, to describe the gospel in one minute. In one minute. We recorded it. It was all on Zoom. You can see the sweat coming down their face. I did this in January, and I was in the same position. So don't, I, I do the same things I expect of other people. So... I did it, and I did what everyone else has done in that situation, is that you miss out the cost. When you think of the gospel, I think often we can miss out the cost for ourselves. You know, the gift of Jesus, the gift of grace is completely free. Let me just say that. We know that. There's nothing we can do to earn our salvation at all. Okay, that's not what I'm saying. But the cost of following Jesus, of being on his kingdom mission, does come at a great cost. This Jewish community in Nehemiah 11 understood that. They're faced with this opportunity to occupy the city. You know, it's not really functional. It's a bit of a ghost town. It's not quite there yet. They would know, stepping back into the city, which is probably why you see the reluctance, the one in ten people, they, they know that they're going to be facing opposition, not just from the locals, but also as the city is growing from a village to becoming a notable city again, other, other nations would start to hear about it. So they're going to be putting themselves in a place of threat and attack. There's also this, this thing where they had a very, apparently, according to scholars, they had a great relationship with those that are living outside of the city. Well, they were living outside at this time as well. They had great trade relations. They had great trade relations. And so they were risking their livelihood as well. By saying yes to the kingdom mission, they were risking their livelihood by stepping into the city, getting closer to the temple. They're also risking that religious tension as well that there will be this racial tension. There's a lot at stake. There was a lot at stake if they were going to say, yes, I'm moving back. I'm going to follow God on his kingdom mission. 
About 100 years earlier, there was a guy called Haggai. Hopefully you've heard of a guy called Haggai. He's in the, in the Old Testament. He's a prophet. And he was speaking to Zerubbabel. God spoke through Haggai. He was a prophet to Zerubbabel. And he had this message for Zerubbabel who brought all these people back in the first place. And he said this, Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your panelled houses while the house of God remains in ruins? Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your panelled houses while the house of God remains in ruins? They'd come back and completely missed the mission. They got comfortable. They got comfortable. And so moving back into the city was again was a sign that this is going to be uncomfortable. Saying yes to kingdom mission stuff is uncomfortable for us. It comes at a cost. They'd have to left their family, their friends, possibly their trades, possibly exclusion, face all those kind of things. The leaders got it. Leaders in verse 1, the one in tens, the volunteers, they got it. They understood that this came at a personal sacrifice. To follow the kingdom mission, this would come at a personal sacrifice. Are you prepared for that? Are you prepared for that? It's not, we can say yeah, and it's great, thank you. But this is what it means to us. It needs to come at a personal sacrifice to us. It's following Jesus. About declaring his coming, coming kingdom. Matthew 16, Jesus says, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. It was a given. It was a given to anyone who says, I'm a follower of Jesus. This is going to be really difficult. The gift is free, but living, to, living and loving like Jesus is difficult. This isn't a call to self-interest or self-preservation. It's a call to self-denial. I've asked Obi about this. Obi's my son. And, uh, and uh, was it last week you had a chat with your friend? So he was having a chat with his, his mate at school, and uh, his mate believes in aliens, which is fine, it's cool, and, uh, <laughs> and he's been to Area 51, he's been to Area 51, he reckons, fine, and he's watched videos on YouTube, and uh, he was talking to OB about it, and he was saying, um, I believe in aliens, what do you believe in? And um, OB was nervous at this point, this is a chance, and he said... Uh, he said, well, I don't see, I don't see aliens in the, in the creation story in the Bible, um, so I don't think they're, they're real. Now, that's a debate for another day, right? <laughs> so I asked him how he felt as he was saying it. He said, it was risky. It's really risky. He's good friends with this guy. Said, I know they are because they're writing comic strips together at school, which is pretty cool. Okay. <laughs> He's good friends with him. You're risking your friendships. You're risking your comfort. He's risking being excluded from his friendship group as well. I asked him how he finished it, and he said, um, he said he's always welcome at church, and he said he'd pray for him. We prayed for him that evening, didn't we, as well, which was great. But it is risky, you know? We're called to be set apart, to think differently, to say things differently. That's part of being on God's kingdom mission. And if we're not, I just want to challenge you lightly, it's time to get on that mission. <laughs> it's time to get on that mission. Second thing, kingdom intentionality. It's a long word. I think I understand it. Uh, the long list of names, and the reason I cut it short, Kev, is because really I don't think there was any need to go on further into those lists of names. But there's five lists of names in the book of Nehemiah, the whole book. And uh, for me, when I see a list of names, well, I see any list, I usually switch off, right? Shopping list around Lidl, no chance. Abby gives me a shopping list. I end up buying all the stuff that's like cheap in the baskets in the middle. Well, the money that you save on the food you end up buying. Anyway, it's fine. Any lists, I just switch off. But actually, what I'm beginning to learn is that a list in the Bible is a great reminder of God's people that were on God's kingdom mission. And that they all had a plan and a purpose on that mission. 
They all had a role. They understood the cost that it was going to cost them. And that for me is a great thing. A great thing that we have a collective intentionality as a church, as a body of Christ. That we're all on this. We might be isolated during our weeks doing different things, but we're all a body of Christ on the same mission. Again, it's a great reminder for me that it's not about me. It humbles me. You know, you see a list of names. It's not about the leaders. It's about everyone being on this mission. Keith uses this phrase, and it's interesting, which is, you know, well, you know, you can look at me, you can look at Keith, other leaders as well in the church, and you can say, well, you get paid to be a Christian, whereas I'm just good for nothing, right? <laughs> and you're not good for nothing. I think you're all amazing. That's not what I meant. just realized what that sounded like in my head. <laughs> that you're awesome. But I think we can disable ourselves in thinking it's up to the leader to do it. I'll drag someone along to church and they'll hear Jim speak or someone else speak or whatever it might be. I'll bring them into an alpha course or bring them into a ministry that we're doing. And those are brilliant things and they're they're important and necessary and God's blessed them amazingly and I think he'll continue to bless them. But I think we disable ourselves as being part of the kingdom mission that we have been called to when we do that. Don't underplay it. There are people that are in your life your lives, that trust you, that love you, that know you, that know you warts and all, by the way, and that's brilliant. There's even more power to Jesus, because we haven't got it all together. You know, they don't need to be invited to a building, they need to be invited to Jesus. Okay? And I'm not saying, I'm not an evangelist, you know, you don't panic, don't freak out about that, but we do need to have an intentionality about being on the kingdom mission. You might not be great with words, but you can be great in the way that you treat people, great in the way that you serve people. We need to have this, and I've called it missional imagination, and I've heard it a lot myself recently. Where is God calling you in your everyday, in the normal stuff, to serve him in the missional imagination places? I don't know if you've ever heard of something called chasing the chariots. Again, it's something that I've got from working alongside Keith in the last nine months, uh, and he uses it a lot with people that he's mentoring and discipling, and and it's, it's a great phrase. It's taken from Acts 8, when Philip... Um, jumps into the chariot. I don't know if you know your Bible, then you'll know that story. I've always thought, is he running alongside the chariot? Is it stationary? Because if he's running, he is quick, right? It's proper quick. Anyway, Philip is um, a follower of Jesus Christ, and the Spirit says to him, go speak to this religious eunuch guy that's in this chariot, because he's reading from Isaiah. He doesn't understand it. And Philip asks him this question, what are you reading? And it opens up a whole conversation with him. And what I love is Philip is just open to the Spirit, He's open to the Spirit, because the Spirit's job is to encourage us to be on his kingdom, mission, right? To bring people to God, the Heavenly Father. I love that, Philip's openness to listening to the Spirit. It's so important. Do we do it? And this is what I meant earlier about the casting lots. We don't have to do that anymore. We don't have to flick a coin. God, what do you want me to do today? Because we've been given the Scripture, we've been given the Holy Spirit. We know. just need to learn how to listen. But how many of us do it? How many of us actively chase the chariots each morning? Give me, give me someone to talk to. Give me someone to, to serve today. I was in the New Forest last week out for a meal with Keith, and um, we were just chatting away. And um, this, this waitress came over, and um, Keith just asked her a question. How are you? How's things? How's life? Big question to ask someone you've never met before. And she just opened up. And she gave the whole story, really. Tough upbringing. I won't say too much. Tough upbringing, raised by a nan. 
Uh, her nan's a believer. Her nan raised her as a believer. She made a commitment when she was 13. She'd been to Soul Survivor. So I talked a little bit about Soul Survivor as well. And then we just wanted to encourage her that God still got her. She felt quite a distance, that God's, you know, still got her in his, in his plans. Go and tell her nan, because that would really encourage her nan as well. that has been praying for all her life. And then she walked off, because I think her boss was getting a bit funny that she spent about 10 minutes with us. Um, and I asked Keith, what happened? That's bonkers. He went, I always just pray. There's one person, one person. I'm always on his mission. There's got to be one person today where I can chase the chariots. And just invest in them. Bring something of kingdom worth, of value, encouragement. Pray for them sometimes. Pray for healing sometimes. Speak to them about Jesus sometimes. Declare Jesus sometimes. Something that reflects the coming king. So it's brilliant, isn't it? Absolutely brilliant. And we've all got the spirit within us. Not a spirit of fear, timidity, but a spirit of power, dunamos. Of love, self-control. I love that. You've been gifted that. God hasn't made a mistake with you in terms of where he's placed you. He hasn't. And as you read this list, administrators, engineers, maintenance workers, as you dig a bit deeper and do a bit of research, that's what you find that they are. All sorts of people. They have people that have got jobs in the temple, and they've got people that, that have got jobs in God's mission outside of the temple. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. It's not just about coming to church and serving here. And I think perhaps we've painted that picture. You know, be on God's mission. Serve God. And so the easy thing to do is go, well, what ministries need help? And we do need help. This is going to be a bit of a strange thing. We do. We need people to step up and serve in the temple, in the church. We really, really do. If you want to see children's work thriving again, you know, then we need people to say, yeah, I'll get involved. Because we're not near it at the moment. Youth work, the same. That's why I'm so grateful for people like Annalise and the team. Gemma, who sat there, has been our intern for a year. For a year? About a year now? A bit longer. A bit longer, a bit longer. She's been brilliant. People to step up. Actually, my job is to be here, to serve this place. But actually, many of you, that's not the case. That's not the case. And that's great because you're still on the same mission as us that are here. It's, look, it's my job, and I know it's my job because it's biblical, to equip the saints for acts of service in and out of the church. You know, you're no less useful for God because you can't come and serve on a Friday or a Tuesday or whenever it might be. What's your mission or imagination? Is it that conversation at the school gate that you've been having with the same person for five years? Just being a bit braver in that moment. I hope so. By the way, I've loved seeing... Is Graham here? Sorry, this is personal. Anyone's actually online. Graham is from our nine o'clock service, and often I've seen him on the camera recently just serving. He's up here somewhere. I think it's brilliant. I think it's amazing. There's a family of God. I'm getting... That's great. Thank you, Graham. I think it's brilliant that we're serving one another in this way, and serving God in this way as well. But actually... Let's also find, for the rest of us that can't do it at church, let's find those ways we can serve him outside. So important. Last thing. Last thing. And this encouraged me, is that when I see a list of names, what I see is a, is a group of people <laughs> that are all kingdom builders. They totally get it. And we are the body of Christ when we're at church and when we are scattered, if you like. We are called to be a people group, not individuals. Often throughout the Bible, God calls his people his people, not just individuals. I love that sense of community. This is what church is for. This is what I think church can become and should become. It's just a place where we come back and we celebrate. We celebrate together as collective followers of Christ. How are you doing on your kingdom mission this week? Not great. Okay, let's pray for you. 
Let's get the stories up on the platform. Keith about this last week of young people. I love seeing last week someone just turning straight after the service and just praying for someone, a young person. I don't know what they prayed for, but it's so good. Wouldn't it be amazing one day to be shoulder to shoulder anyway, <laughs> but shoulder to shoulder, old and young, old and young, right? We might not like that song, <laughs> but they do, and I love them. They do, and I love them. So, I, you know, it's not great. It repeats itself sometimes, fine. Okay, <laughs> consumer, sorry, sorry. But at the same time, the other way around, young people talking to me, I don't understand those words, they're too weird, they're too old. Well, what an opportunity to learn and to grow and to be challenged and to mature. And what a great chance it is for us to be shoulder to shoulder and teach each other as one family on the kingdom mission of God. It's exciting, isn't it? And if you're not from this church, I hope that your church is on this same thing as well. And by the way, it's great to see lots of different people here today. But I'm excited by that. I really feel like that's what God is doing as we regather. I really feel like that's what God is doing. It's going to come at a challenge, possibly personally. But what an opportunity it is for this to be a place of celebration where we can hear everyone's testimonies, but also we can lament. There might be some tough stuff going on, and that's fine. This needs to be a safe place where we can talk about that as well. I've just completely lost myself in my notes, but never mind. Who cares? I hope today has challenged you in some way and encouraged you as well. Um, we're going to take communion in a minute. And what an opportunity it is for us to, to come back, come back to the simplicity of the gospel. The simplicity of the gospel, what it means, what Jesus did for us on that cross, that he died on that cross for us to restore us back into relationship with our Heavenly Father. But also, he didn't just save us from something, did he? He saved us for something. For something. And I'd love it just for you to spend a little bit of time asking the Spirit, do you know what, where perhaps I'll be more interested in my own comfort, maybe? My own, I want the church to serve me. Perhaps I've missed those missional opportunities, those, that missional imagination, just in my everyday spaces at work, across the school gate, texting someone. God has put you where he needs you. He needs you in the spaces that you're in. If you want to talk to me about any of that stuff, serving in the church, serving outside the church, if God's stirring something for you or thinking, I'd love to start something, an allotment, I don't know, whatever, then let's chat. Let's chat about it.